Good evening uh, to you all. Um, thank you for joining us this evening uh, to, to praise and worship the Lord. Um, and thank you to Samuel for, for leading our service so far. And thank you so much to Romerick for your updates from your church family back in France. Um, you may be wondering that it's a slightly unusual appearance from myself up here uh, this evening. Um, for one thing, I certainly don't look like Johnny. Um, I don't speak like Willie. <laughs> the only thing I probably have in common with our speakers is that my beard is somewhere close to what Kevin's is. Um, and so I do trust that even though this is an unusual appearance that you may benefit from uh, what um, I say from God's word this evening. Um, I hope you're blessed and encouraged as we go through Psalm 98 together. And so let's turn to Psalm 98. Um, I'll read uh, all the verses from verses 1 to 9, and they should appear on the screen um, behind me. So Psalm 98. A psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, and he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Amen. This is the word of God. And so uh, let's bow our heads before God in prayer just before we dive into to these verses. So let's pray. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He has made known his salvation. Lord God, your word is true and your word gives direction to our lives. Your word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And we pray that as we briefly consider this wonderful psalm, that our hearts would be filled with thankfulness because of your marvelous deeds and that we would burst into praise knowing our King and knowing what he has done for us. And so help us, Lord, we pray, and prepare our hearts to receive from your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. This is a, a wonderful psalm, isn't it? Um, as we read, we, we, we get the sense of, of joy and exuberance from the psalmist as he writes these words. And, and so... I want to ask a question at the beginning of, of, of this, this talk. And the question is, what, what causes you to sing? What causes you to be happy? What causes you to jubilate? For some people, it may 
It may be that they just do that to, to pass the time as they do the chores at home. Um, they sing as they do the dishes or as they do the hoovering just to pass the time and to, to make that task somewhat entertaining. And for some people, it may be that they sing only when their sports team wins. Um, in victory, they, 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 they shout a claim and pretend that their team is the best team in the world, even for that one moment, for that one week. Um, one Arsenal fan came up with a song for one of the best players to ever play for Arsenal Football Club. And he came up with a song for a player called Dennis Burkamp, who was a, um, a Dutch um, international, a, a player who played for, for, for the Netherlands, an impressive player. And they, they made a song to, to talk about Dennis Burkamp's majestic skills for Arsenal. And it goes to the tune of Winter Wonderland, which is quite fitting at this time of year. And it goes like this. There's only one Dennis Burkamp. <laughs> There's only one Dennis Bergkamp. There's only one Dennis Bergkamp. Walking along, singing this song, walking in a Bergkamp wonderland. And football fans have a peculiar relationship with their teams and their players. One week, a particular win can cause um, football fans to, to, to behave quite, quite, quite interestingly. Um, and their fans sing loud phrases to their team as if you know, they had conquered the world. The week following, however, they may lose to an unlikely opponent and the football players walk out of the stadium to a barrage of abuse coming from the same fans who praised them the week before that. This relationship can only be described as a love-hate relationship. And you may be wondering where I'm going with this analogy. And it's simply to make the point that God has won one final victory and there is no further battle to fight. There is no further game to play. He has won the ultimate victory without the possibility of losing. And he has won what appeared to be an impossible victory in the face of sin, in the face of death, and in the face of hell. And not only that, he continues to be faithful in his steadfast love. And the psalmist therefore calls us to sing heartily in response to that great victory. And Psalm 98, as we've said, is a wonderful psalm of praise and it's dedicated to victory, it's dedicated to salvation and the kingship of the Lord. And at first glance, you may think it's quite identical to to Psalm 96 and you wouldn't be wrong to think that um, it has a lot in common with Psalm 96, uh, particularly the start and the finish of both of these psalms, um, in fact, nearly word for word the same. But Psalm 98, however, makes a distinct contribution to our worship. You'll see at the start of the psalm that most psalms, in fact, have a superscription, a a phrase or a description of the psalm right at the beginning. And Psalm 98 is the only psalm out of 150 that has the superscription, a psalm. Simply a psalm. And when you read the Psalms, as I've said, you often find superscriptions like a Psalm of David or a Psalm of Asaph or to the choir master. And these descriptions often point to the context or the occasion in which the Psalm was written. And in Psalm 98, the superscription, as we say, is simply a Psalm. And the relevance of this is perhaps that this Psalm is an overarching example of praise and a blueprint of worshipping God. 
It is simply a psalm of praise, of worship to God. It is, in a sense, fit for any and every occasion, because as people who have experienced the salvation of God and people who have known the marvelous deeds of God, there's always an occasion to sing to the Lord a new song. And so this psalm stands alone as a prototype or a model for worship to God. And as we read these verses, clearly the psalmist has in mind some supernatural victory or a set of victories that the Lord has won for Israel in times past. Looking back at the Old Testament, Israel's history was full of such miraculous events, um, events of God-saving power. And you think of the great exodus from Egypt, um, the crossing of the Red Sea, the rescue of Jerusalem from the great Assyrian army, or the deliverance of, of Israel from the captivity under Babylon. And Psalm 98 therefore calls on Israel, the entirety of Israel, all people and all creation, to respond to the Lord's mighty miraculous works and his salvation by rising and singing together a new song, a resounding new song. And in verse 4, by making a joyful noise to the Lord. And as we do that, we acknowledge that the Lord, the King, continues to reign every day. And as we, the whole creation, praises God, we proclaim the joy of the King's return one day to judge righteously and to make all things new. And so to to break it down, we'll briefly seek to understand the the sort of three distinct parts of this psalm. Um, They are three distinct but well-connected sections in in the psalm. And you'll see these divisions in um, verses 1 to 3, and in verses 4 to 6, and then 7 to 9. But as I say, they're they're quite quite well-connected. And all three sections ultimately lead us to praise and glory of God, And you'll notice that the psalmist encourages us to make joyful noise to God in three distinct roles. We'll be encouraged to sing to our Savior in verses 1 to 3, to sing to our King in verses 4 to 6, and then to our Judge in verses 7 to 9. And so, to summarize, um, verses 1 to 3 is a resounding call to all of us to sing a new song to our Saviour God because of his marvellous deeds in the past. Verses 4 to 6 will call us wholeheartedly to make a joyful noise to the ruling king in the present day, knowing that he is faithful. And then verses 7 to 9 will call on the entire universe to resound with joy to the righteous judge who will come back to make all things new. And so let's, let's take each of these in turn. Um, verses 1 to 3. I'll read these again, um, just for our remembrance. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. Notice how many times the word salvation appears. And he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And quite clearly, the key word here is salvation in these first verses. And although it's mentioned three times in the first three verses, it's, it's not totally obvious reading the text from what exactly these people have been saved from. That, you know, what, what historical event was the psalmist thinking of when he wrote these words? And 
Which events in, in Israel's history should induce such praise? It's, it's not entirely clear. Perhaps one of the advantages of, of, of um, no particular event being described is that we're able to then apply this text broadly to God's great salvation and his deliverance of us, his people, from our sin. Um, we're bound to take this language to apply it to the greatest and the most supernatural thing that God has done for us through his Son, to sovereignly and powerfully free us from the bondage of sin. This is a work of God's right hand. This is a work of God's holy arm. And he has worked a final and full victory from sin, from death, and from hell. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, the late American Bible teacher, writes this, The single greatest problem that we have as men and women is our sin. Sin is a destroyer. Sin is a pathway to spiritual death. Sin leads to spiritual separation between God and us. And so considering this, when we examine the world around us and appreciate all that goes on, the disobedience, the mockery of God and the hatred of God, and when we recognize the magnitude of sin in all its entirety, when we realize the gravity and the size of sin, that points us to the gravity and the size of the victory of our salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the marvelous thing that's being described here. The marvelous thing is the great salvation that Christ has won for us with his powerful and holy arm. We, of course, in our wretched states couldn't have saved ourselves. And we read these verses. I'll read to you several verses from from the New Testament. Read this in Romans 8, verses 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And we read these verses in Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then finally, we read in Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for, perhaps for a good man, one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, these are amazing testimonies to God's salvation and these are reasons to praise God Jesus says if the son sets you free then you will be free indeed what a reason to sing to the Lord a new song considering his great salvation and so that's the first point the second point is that not only has God brought about salvation but he has also revealed it to the nations and you'll find that in verse 2 And uh, looking at the historical context, all the victories won for Israel by God were quite clearly displayed to the world. The victories were displayed so powerfully in order that the people might see and turn to Israel's God. Place yourself in, in, in the scenes thinking about the plagues that fell on Pharaoh's Egypt widespread as they were. Picture the scene as the Red Sea powerfully parts for the people of Israel. 
What a powerful picture that was. And picture the scene as the angel strikes, the angel of the Lord strikes the Assyrian army, 180,000 of them, to deliver Israel from siege. All these great victories, sovereign and omnipotent that they were, were only a foreshadowing of the great revelation of the cross. God's display of salvation was completely fulfilled in sending his beloved son to die on a cruel Roman cross. And that display of God's wrath being poured upon his son as Jesus cruelly suffers for our sin was the most powerful demonstration of God's holiness and his salvation. Because on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God, as Paul writes. When Jesus took his last breath on the cross, we're told by the gospel writers that there was a thunderous earthquake. The rock split. The curtain in the temple was rent in two, and God has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. The scene at the cross. And God has powerfully demonstrated his righteousness to the nations. And not only that, what he has done for the Jews on that cross of Christ, he has also done for the rest of the world. We read that he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Not only Israel, but to the rest of the world. And Paul writes uh, to the Ephesians that the mystery of the gospel, in a sense the what God wanted to reveal about the gospel was that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the same promise as Christ through the gospel, through God's salvation. It is not only for the Jew, but for the Gentile also. And this all-encompassing salvation, God's mighty work has been displayed to the nations upon that cross. And so we're told in verse 3 that not only has God worked marvelous things and not only has he made a salvation and righteousness known, he has remembered and he continues to remember his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel and also to the ends of the earth. And so the psalmist gives us yet another reason to sing to the Lord. A new song, verse 3 says, The Lord has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And what the psalmist is saying here is that the Lord winning salvation for for the people of Israel demonstrates and proves his faithfulness. The Lord long ago made promises to Adam and to the patriarchs, to Abraham, that he himself would provide salvation. Think about Abraham and and, and the sacrifice of, of his son. God himself provided a lamb. God himself provided salvation in that situation. And God has revealed himself to be reliable. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, says the psalmist, because God has kept and will continue to keep his promises. And this time of year we we turn to the birth of our Savior who was born through the Virgin Mary. And as we heard so clearly in this morning talk by Johnny, Mary burst forth in, in thanksgiving and praise because of what God had done for her and for her people. And we find great similarity between uh, Mary's song, um, the Magnificat, 
um, uh, which is found in Luke's account and in Psalm 98. We, we find great similarity between this psalm and that song. And the psalmist begins, sing to the Lord a new song. And this is how Mary begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's almost as though Mary is answering the invitation and the call of the psalm. The psalmist shouts, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The psalmist continues, for he has done marvelous things. And Mary sings, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Luke 1.49. And Mary continues in the sense of Psalm 98. He has shown strength with his arm. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. These promises that God made to the patriarchs. And Mary recounts these and responds to God's steadfast, steadfast love and faithfulness with an outpouring of her heart and of blessing to God. And so, brothers and sisters, we can be sure, we can be absolutely certain of God's promises because he has sealed them in his name. He has made the promises in his name and he cannot go against himself. Cannot and will not go against his promises. Listen to these. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Do you believe that? And listen to this. Matthew 11. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do we take Jesus at his word? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What marvelous promises we have from Jesus, and what reason to sing to the Lord a new song. Let's take Jesus at his word. He says this, If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back again to take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. What promises? What reassurance? And so we have multiple reasons as the, the, the writer of the song says, 10,000 reasons for my heart to fight. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Multiple reasons to sing to the Lord a new song. And, and God is faithful and the psalmist makes a wonderful wholehearted appeal to the people in verses 4 to 6 to burst forth with song to the ruling king knowing that God is faithful. And so knowing what God has done in verses 1 to 3 um, we're called to make a joyful noise to the Lord um, and to break forth into joyous singing and to sing praises. And the psalmist is quite exuberant and passionate here in his plea to us. You know, this call for loud shouts of praise and bursting forth into joyous singing. And the idea of this shouting is similar to the sort of spontaneous shout that you might give out if you saw a queen, you know, the queen or the king you know, just the spontaneity of, 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 of excitement. Read with me in, in Zechariah 9, verse 9, of this great prophecy of, of, of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming for you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Zechariah's prophecy was, of course, fulfilled by Jesus on, on Palm Sunday as we celebrate um, uh, every year at, around, around Easter time. Um, Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem as king. And the word rendered shout aloud in, in Zechariah's prophecy is the same word that we find translated in this psalm as joyful noise or joyous song. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a loud shout, a loud shout of joy. That's, that's the implication here. And, and the, the, the combination of the encouragement to break forth into joyous song and, and the catalogue of instruments that are listed here, think of the lyre, the, the, the trumpet and the horn, these all represent welcoming a king. They give us an idea of what kind of king we worship. And such is the ruling king that we're to welcome him with, with vibrant anticipation, with loud song, with melodious music. And so may this be an encouragement both to me and to you um, that as we sing in our regular meetings or in our homes that we would do so with vigor and with vitality, um, singing from the heart, knowing that as we sing we partake in the worship of our great king who has bought us with his very own blood. And so make a joyful noise to the Lord because of his faithfulness. Break forth into joy of singing, the psalmist says. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. And so we know then that Israel and, and all the world are called to sing to the Savior God and to the ruling king in verses 4 to 6 uh, because of his marvelous deeds and because of his faithfulness. And not only that, we read in verses 7 to 9, um, of a universal call, of a universal call to all creation to resound with joy for the righteous judge who will make all things new. And so, turning our attention to verses 7 to 9, we read these verses. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Let the seas roar. And let the rivers clap. and Let the hills sing for joy together. And this is the ultimate, the final call to praise, which involves the whole creation, the entirety of the created order. The whole creation is invited to be a part of this resounding chorus and even the inanimate creation which has benefited and will benefit from God's redemption and salvation. Because as you think back to, to Genesis 3, and I know that we've uh, looked at Genesis recently in, in some of our evening meetings, that the, the, when man fell, the whole earth came under a curse. And you'll read in Genesis 3, um, 17 and 18 that even the physical world felt the gross consequences of sin. You read in Genesis 3.17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
And so this, this curse explains why the psalmist includes the physical creation in, in, in the call to sing to the Lord. And nature is personified in these verses. And the whole world rejoices in anticipation of the Lord's return because the creation has been groaning all this time. The creation has been struggling. And the Lord has come as Savior and will come as King to reign, but He will also come as Judge. And the final result of this judgment will include the redemption of absolutely everything, even the the creation. And so this is why Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8, he says, For the creation waits eagerly, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so even creation feels the, 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 the anticipation and the, the wait for this redemption, for this judgment, for, for, for Jesus Christ to return. Now at the moment we know that the world is not as it should be and uh, God is, is not honoured and, and, and praised or worshipped in the way that his character and his attributes deserve. And, and, and while this is true that currently nature languishes under the curse of sin, when Jesus Christ returns according to Paul, all creation together with God's redeemed will sing with humble adoration. Every knee shall bow on that day and every tongue confess all the nations even the seas and the rivers and the hills will join in one praise one sound one song one chorus one doxology to the returning king and even now the the rivers and the seas roar and the the trees and the hills sing for joy together and that's all in anticipation of the righteous judge who will come to make all things right and Another important point here as we uh, draw to a close is that the Lord's judgment will be a righteous judgment. That is a key aspect of Jesus' return. Our, Our world cries out for justice. And rightly so. Um, even in the, the devastating conflicts that we hear about and read of in, 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 in the news today, the world cries out for justice. We shout for equity and for the right outcome in every situation. We crave justice. And this is, this is, this is true. This is commendable. This is uh, in, our, in, our, in our nature. This is what God has implanted in our hearts. And God is not oblivious to what goes on in the world. He knows everything very well. And as he has promised when he returns, all things will be made right. From the east to the west, all things, all evil, all wrongdoing will be dealt with and Finally, God's just character will be revealed in its totality. We should therefore rejoice exceedingly with the creation, knowing that God, the just judge, will judge righteously without any fault or error on that day. And so as we conclude um, our time together this evening, we reflect on that well-known and well-loved carol which we sung this morning, Joy to the World, and This carol finds its basis in Psalm 98. 
Um, the great hymn writer Isaac Watts writes this in, 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 in the 1700s, really not intending for this to be a Christmas carol um, or a, a song for the Advent season. His, his ultimate aim was to rewrite Psalm 98 with the New Testament and the second coming of Christ in view, in mind. He wanted to show Christ as the ruling king who has come into the world and will come again. And so not only in Christ's birth into the world, but it is in Christ's final coming that the famous words of joy to the world will come true. And so we often sing, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods, rock hills and plains, repeat the sound in joy. Repeat the sound in joy. And this famous hymn is a favorite because it faithfully conveys the resounding message that we have heard from Psalm 98. That Jesus saves. That salvation is from the Lord. That salvation is a powerful work of God's right hand. And and that the right response is to sing to the Lord a new song. Is to sing to the Savior, to the King, and to the Judge a new song from the heart. And so let me read uh, to us uh, the words of Revelation 5 as we uh, bring our uh, tonight to a close. Um, Revelation 5 captures beautifully the, the Lamb upon the throne who is receiving the praise which is rightly due to his name. And so I'll read from verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering 10,000 times 10,000, myriads of myriads, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forevermore. The four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down and worshipped. Let's bow our heads in prayer. O Lord, um, we come before you with a heart of gratitude. We humbly bow before your throne and we come before you to thank you for your precious gift of salvation. Your boundless love and your grace have lifted us from darkness and 
you have transported us into the domain of your Son, into your marvelous light, into your presence. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, and thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for the transformation of our hearts uh, through your ever-present Holy Spirit. And Lord, we cherish the salvation as the most precious treasure that we have. And we're forever thankful for your grace, for that grace which we don't deserve. Lord, we pray that you would help each and every one of us to live lives that reflect your love and to share the joy of your salvation with other people as we do that, Lord, especially in this season of good news of the Savior who has come into the world. Help us to sing to the Lord a new song of gratitude, of praise, because of who you are and what you have done for us. And Lord, as we reflect on our world and the difficulties that we face, we can only look to you and say, come quickly, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray and thank you for, your, for our time together this evening. <clears throat> we commit each and every one to you in, in the week ahead that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to, to be drawn to your word, to be drawn to prayer and to seek your face in this coming week. We thank you for our time together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.